The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Lord Jesus, I come today pleading for that right spirit that you would not cast us away from your presence, O Lord. I come pleading today on this September 1 for the pastors of America. I come pleading, O mighty God, that you would give pastors a backbone to preach an honest word 
a word of encouragement, but a, a, a word of rebuke for sin, a call to righteousness, a call to get clean with God, to walk before you with fear and trembling. Lord, I pray that you will bless the pastors of Washington, D.C., and of our nation. And that this month, as we pray, as we enter into the deep issues of prayer, that, O Lord, as we fast before you, as we seek your face, I'm asking, Lord, that all corruption in the church would be exposed, that all wickedness in the church would become plain to see. Lord, I'm asking for your miraculous power to begin to flow in our ministries. I'm asking for the National Prayer Chapel that now, Lord, the way would be prepared, a straight path for your coming, that you would move in the hearts of men and women and say, enough, come, follow me, that you would turn your people from their sin, that you would rebuke all darkness, that, Lord, it won't be just another month of doing church, whether streaming online or in the congregation. And Lord, I pray that you will restore the congregation in America, that you will lift from us these foolish commands that we are not to meet and worship, for you said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and even more as the time comes. Lord, your church needs to be assembling and listening and weeping and praying together before your throne. Lord, take all fear from our hearts. Arouse us, O oh Jesus, arouse us from the entertainment and the distractions and the wickedness of our age. Lord, don't let us be content to simply look at the news and say, oh, how terrible that is. Lord, cause us to pray. Cause your pastors to pray. Cause your churches to pray. Oh, Lord, call your church in America out of the darkness and into the light. And give us backbones to stand up to wickedness and say, enough, not on my watch. I've had it. No more. Lord, we rebuke this evil virus that has affected America. We rebuke, Lord, the political agitation to cause people to be fearful and wear masks and be separated. Lord, we ask for your healing to flow in this nation. And Lord, I, I bind and rebuke all wickedness in your church and ask that the devil would be forced out of every congregation from every pastor's heart Lord, either bring the pastor into alignment with your will or remove him as a false shepherd. Lord, we ask for your glory to be seen in this nation as we pray and prepare for the days that are coming ahead. For Lord, I know we can only stand as we fast and pray and trust you and take your hand. Lord, let it be so today. Wash us, cleanse us, purify our hearts and our minds. Lord, we turn to you as the only Lord and Savior, as our Sovereign, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, we lay our lives down for the work of the gospel 
in the name of Jesus. Amen. I welcome you to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I am waiting upon the Lord. I know he is going to move in great power at the National Prayer Chapel and in churches across this land as we earnestly pray and seek the face of Jesus and repent of all known sin and turn from it. The message of John the Baptist was very clear. You must repent and prepare the way of the Lord. You must make straight paths. That's why this broadcast is entitled, You Must Repent Now. Not later, now. Now is the time to repent. Let me ask you a question. may seem like a strange question but let me ask it because it's one that I've had to ask and I've been struggling with when I read the scriptures do those words in the scripture mean what they say or does every scripture require a careful explanation that's nuanced so that I can understand what it means? For example, I hear taught in the church today that God has unconditional love for us. I have searched the scriptures through I find no evidence that God has unconditional love for his people. I find that he has unfailing love, but that's much different than unconditional love. Does God have unconditional love for people? Do I accept what the scriptures say, or do I accept what I commonly hear in the Christian church? another common thing I hear. Oh, nobody can be perfect. We all have to try and do our best. That's all we can do. We do our best and we leave the rest up to Jesus. Is that true? Can you show me anywhere in the scriptures where it says that? I don't find that in the scripture. Now, let me really touch a hot button. Do you believe that our standing before God is based on what Jesus did at the cross plus nothing? Do you believe that? Do you believe that what Jesus did at the cross was a forensic, a legal arrangement? And that now all of your past, present, and future sins have been forgiven and you're saved even in the midst of your sin and you can continue sinning just do your best you'll lose a little fellowship with God but you're on your way to heaven does the scripture anywhere teach these things salvation is it by faith alone is salvation by faith alone? Do the scriptures teach that? Do the scriptures teach that salvation is by faith alone? Well, perhaps it depends on your definition of faith. What is your definition of faith? The most common definition of faith is that I put my confidence in Jesus and that's faith. 
And so I trust Jesus to forgive my past, present, and future sins, and I enter then into salvation. Is that your definition of faith? That's not my definition because I can't find it anywhere in the scriptures. So, please let me ask the question again that I opened this broadcast with. Do you believe that you're capable of coming to the Bible and reading the scripture and that what you read is true and you believe it without interpreting it by modern theology, by not interpreting it by what you think is right? Are you willing to let the scriptures be the authority in your life? Are you willing to simply believe as a child what the scriptures say even if it goes against what you have believed or what you have taught. Now, the problem we face is that we read the scriptures but quickly pass over anything that disagrees with what we've been taught because we believe what we were taught. We believe what the preacher said. Do you believe what a preacher says more than you believe the word of God? many years I would read the scriptures and I would see that what the scriptures said was not what I just heard in the sermon and I couldn't find in the scriptures what I just heard the preacher say oh I'd go over the bible text I'd, I'd reread the scriptures that he gave but the scriptures he gave didn't say what he said they were supposed to say. And so as a child in high school, even college and seminary, I said, I just must be too dumb to understand. Because if I believe the simple word that the scriptures give, then I'm in trouble. Because the scriptures don't teach what I've been taught. Now, John Wesley was a wonderful man of God. And Wesley taught something that seemed very real to me. He said, if, if the life of the church is not clean and godly, if the life of the church doesn't reflect the words of Scripture, it's because they were taught a lie. Let me ask, does the life of the church in America reflect the honest words of Scripture? And any person who is willing to be honest is going to have to say, no. But our lives do reflect what the modern theology of the Reformed Church is. Our lives do reflect the prosperity teachings of the modern Pentecostal Church. Always looking for strategies for success. Always with the reform going through the, the tulip every one of which is false and is not found in the scripture. So again, I come asking, please, like the little boy who looked at the king who had no clothes on, and he said, look, the, the king is naked. He doesn't have any clothes on, does he? The little boy could not accept that the king was dressed in finery when he couldn't see any of it. I don't believe the church in America is dressed in righteousness when I can't see the righteousness. I'm sorry, I'm perhaps a naive 
I can't say I'm uneducated. I'm very well educated. And I've had to forget almost everything I learned in seminary. It was a, it was a cemetery for me. I've had to unlearn almost everything I learned in college about theology. Because when I came to the scriptures, I didn't find it reflected, the reality. I was taught in seminary that the very finest commentary on the book of Romans was the commentary by Martin Luther. And so I bought a Martin Luther commentary and I spent a great number of years carefully studying it and trying to understand and when there was a divergence between what Luther said and what the scripture said I always favored what Luther said because that's what I was taught was right I can't do that anymore for me the scriptures are the absolute word of the living God if I can't trust the simple words of Scripture, if I have to interpret them and, and give them nuanced meanings, if I have to maneuver through them, if I have to ignore certain Scriptures and just cover them up and not look at them, oh, how do I do that and be honest before God? I can't. So I, I'm called all kinds of names by people. I'm called a legalist. I'm called a heretic. Simply because I want to take the plain words of Scripture and say they are true. I believe them. Where do you stand on this issue? And are you willing today, and as we move forward, are you willing to look with me honestly at the plain words of Scripture and not try to interpret them, not try to maneuver our way around them, not set up some system of theology that we say is right, like the tulip in Reformed theology, are, we, are you willing to just look at the plain word of Scripture and let that plain word of Scripture be faultless and true, even if we find ourselves in disagreement with it, even if we find it unpalatable to us, even if it cuts across what we've been taught and what we've believed. Can I be just very straight with you? I'm sick and tired of the teaching of men and the lies of theologians. I'm sick and tired of their presentations of their truth that don't agree with the word of God. I want the straight, unvarnished word of the living God. And I'm willing to stake my life on what the word of God teaches plus nothing. That's where I stand. So I want to look with you at the word of God that he has directed me to bring to you and to speak about even though I know it is offensive even though I know it will challenge much of what you and I have been taught are you willing to risk that if not you better turn the broadcast off because that's where I'm going I want to be able to stand before Jesus on that great day of judgment 
and have himself say to me, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, because you preached the straight word from the scriptures, and you didn't add your private interpretation to it. You just gave it straight and unvarnished. That's what I want to hear from Jesus. Now, believe me, I don't want to hear from Jesus. Why didn't you just give the straight word of God? Why didn't you just tell them the truth? Why did you give them pleasant, pleasing words, articulate and poetic that allowed them to stay in their evil darkness and their sin? Why didn't you call them out Their blood is now on your hands. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Oh, but but Jesus, I did wonderful things. I I held meetings and I I prayed miracles and and I cast out demons and I did wonderful things in your name. Only to hear him say, Ray, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Oh, I don't want to hear that on the day of judgment. So I'm going to say some things to you today. I introduced it yesterday. If you haven't listened, please listen to yesterday's broadcast. Now come with me to Romans chapter 6, where Paul finally gets down to the nuts and bolts of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I can take you, perhaps I should, to Matthew Matthew, the third chapter. Let me read this. Please, this was to prepare the way of Jesus. And the words are straight. There's no game. It's straight up. John, I'm sorry, Matthew, the third chapter. His message was, you must repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's the word I come preaching to you today. We are almost at the coming of Jesus. Any moment Jesus can come. Now, I know many of you say, oh, Jesus can't come yet because the the third temple hasn't been built. Come on. Jesus said, I'm going to come at a time and an hour you know not. He can come any time he chooses. He's God. A voice crying out in the desert, you must prepare the way of the Lord. You must make his paths straight. That is not crooked. Now, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees came to his baptism, and he said to them, O offspring of snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Today I'm coming warning you to flee from the coming wrath. The wrath is coming upon America. It's coming to our streets. It's already in our cities. As wicked, ungodly, cruel, heartless men and women. I saw a man chasing an old man running at him with a brick in his hand, smashing it into the man's head, and he falls face down on the ground. And then the man runs away, and everyone is filming it and laughing and cheering. That's animalistic behavior. That's evil. That's Antifa. That's Black Lives Matter, the organization, the political organization, utterly given to darkness, 
if you still have any sympathy for that, you are ungodly and wicked in your heart. In fact, you must produce fruit worthy of repentance. And you may not think to say among yourselves, we have a father, Abraham, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham out of these stones. And even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. So every tree not producing good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But the one coming after me is mightier than me, whose sandals I'm not worthy to remove. He himself will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire, whose winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with fire, never to be put out. In other words, those who do not repent, he will burn. Those who are animalistic, who are cruel, who are wicked, he will burn. And their fire will never go out. We must have good fruit. The fruit of righteousness and holiness. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. I hope soon to be able to announce a place where I can baptize with water unto repentance. But not just with water unto repentance, but also to baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire, because that's what the Holy Spirit is calling for in this Christian day under the new covenant. Will you come and be baptized? Will you repent? Now go to chapter 6. What shall we say? Continue in sin so that grace may become more and more? Does grace go with sin? Does grace abound in the life of a sinner? That's what the modern church says. But what do the scriptures say? Certainly not, or never. We who died to sin, how shall we still live in it? Do you believe you're still walking in sin? If you believe you're still walking in sin, if you're not right with Jesus, there's only one reason. You have not yet died. And our church today, our churches in America today, are filled with half-converted people who have, with self-help, improved their behavior, but they are still filled with sin. And in fact, they will say, I can never stop sinning. This is just who I am, and God's going to have to accept me. And God forgave all of my sin, past, present, and future at the cross, a finished work. It doesn't say that in the scriptures. That's man's invention. The scriptures say, we who died to sin, how shall we live in it? We can't live in sin if we've died with Christ. It's impossible. And then he says, and he doesn't mean to be offensive here, he's being literal. He's saying, are you ignorant? Or are you uneducated? Are you simply without knowledge? Have you never been taught the truth as it is in Jesus? Have you never been taught as it is in Jesus that you must leave your sin? It says, as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. 
Really, we were baptized together with him by means of the baptism into the death, that just as Christ was raised out from among dead men by the glory of the Father, we also may walk around in newness of life. If you are not walking around in newness of life without sin in your heart, you have not yet been baptized into the death of Jesus Christ, and so you have no share in his resurrection. That's what the scriptures say in Romans, the sixth chapter. That's not what the modern preachers say. They have a different gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus. Now, can grace abound in the sinning believer? And Paul answers, certainly not. No, never, no, never, never, never. Can they coexist in the same life any more than life and darkness can occupy the same space? No. Let me turn to another scripture. Maybe we're just not understanding what the Apostle Paul is trying to say to us here. Maybe we need to go somewhere else. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 37. Now this I say and declare in the Lord. You are no longer to walk as the other Gentiles walk in the nonsense of their mind, having been darkened in the understanding, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance existing in them because of the hardness of their hearts who having ceased from feeling shame gave themselves over to immorality for the practice of every impurity in greed for more he's saying look if you're still walking around in sin you've not you've not entered into the death of jesus christ and you're ignorant of the fact that you must do so I'm terrified for many of you because you're ignorant of this fact. You think you're saved by faith alone. Now, I want to just add a quick note. I am saved by faith alone, but not the faith of the modern church. I'm saved by faith alone in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But it is not imputed righteousness, it's imparted righteousness. I am saved by faith that Jesus will do in me the work of cleansing and purifying and breaking of every bondage in my life. But it will require a deeper and deeper death in the crucifixion with Jesus Christ. So am I saved by faith alone? Yes, by the faith that works. Christ Jesus' faith that works in me to make me righteous. The word justified in the Old English comes from the word or the phrase to make righteous. To be justified does not mean to be legally cleared of guilt. It means to literally be cleared of guilt and to be made righteous. Coming from the word in the Greek, dekasune, meaning to be made innocent with no guilt. Not because Jesus' righteousness covers me as a grace blanket while I continue to walk in wickedness. That's insanity. That's ignorance. The gospel of Jesus by the blood of Jesus Christ 
has all the power to wash and cleanse and restore, to make holy. Listen. Ephesians 4.20 But you learned not the Christ in this way. If indeed you heard him and you were taught by him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that you are to put off once and for all. This is not a slow process. It's once and for all concerning the former way of life, the old man, the one being depraved according to the desires of delusion and to be new again in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new man, the one having been created in conformity with God in righteousness, holiness, and truth. Now he gets very practical. Therefore, having already put aside falsehood, each of you must speak the truth with his neighbor because we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your angry mood. And you must give place, you must not give place to the devil. The one stealing must not steal anymore, but rather let him labor working the thing that is good with the hand that he may have to share with one's not having need. And any word that is harmful must not proceed out of your mouth. He goes on and on. He says, you must not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed under the day of redemption. All bitterness, rage, anger, clamor, slander must be put away from you with every hatefulness. And you must be kind to one another, tenderhearted, freely favoring each other, as also God by Christ favored you. Accordingly, you must be imitators of God as beloved children. In fact, you must walk in love. But sexual immorality and all uncleanness, inordinate desire for riches, must not be so much as mentioned among you as becoming holy ones. And indecency and silly talk, coarse jesting, these things are not fitting but rather thanksgiving. Now, this you are understanding, that every fornicator or unclean person or one who defends for gain, who is an idolater, has not an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let nobody deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, be not partakers. For at one time you used to be darkness, But now you are light in the Lord. You must walk like children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all uprightness and righteousness and truth, proving what is well-pleasing to the Lord. And you must not participate with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather even expose them. Really, the things being done by them secretly are disgrace even to speak of. Now all the things being exposed by the light become visible, for everything becomes visible in light. For this reason, he says, wake up! The one sleeping, wake up and arise out from the dead ones, and Christ will shine upon you. Okay, so we come back to this very simple question are you willing to believe the actual words of what the scripture says and the scriptures say that you cannot walk in sin and walk in Jesus you can't be in New York City and Washington DC at the same time you're in either one city or the other you cannot be in Jesus and in darkness. You can't be in Jesus and in sin. You're either in sin or you're in darkness. And the only passageway between Jesus and darkness is the cross of Jesus Christ where you must be crucified, where you must die, where you must enter into the death of Jesus Christ. And you must be transformed and made into a new person. 
You cannot, and we'll get into this in the next broadcast, you cannot suppress the wickedness in your life and expect to win the battle over it. It must be excised. It must be cut out like a cancer. And it can only be done by the hand of Jesus through the power of the blood. And you become a new person in Christ Jesus. I'd like to hear your responses. I'd like you to respond on the webpage and let me know. Are you willing to accept the straight word of Jesus out of the scripture? Or are you going to believe the preachers you've been listening to, who've been lying to you, who've been deceiving? Now, there are some preachers, thank God, that are preaching a straight, honest message that you must leave your sin and that the blood of Jesus can cleanse you and make you into a new person. But if you are not that new person, but you call yourself a Christian, you're walking in ignorance and delusion before God. And I'm calling upon you today to wake up. Please wake up and enter into the death of Jesus. Enter into the crucifixion of Jesus. We can no longer afford to walk in delusion or ignorance. Our very salvation is hanging in the balance. Jesus did not finish the work at Calvary. He is right now in the Holy of Holies, in the heavenly realm, on the throne of grace, where he ministers to every person who repents of their sin. He removes that sin by the power of his blood, the working of the Holy Spirit. He regenerates you and makes you into a new creature that never before existed. Jesus finished at the cross the work of the atoning sacrifice, and now he wants to use that atonement, that blood, to totally transform you into his likeness. He wants to include you in the kingdom of light, but to do that, you must be removed from the kingdom of darkness. You must be removed from sin. You must be made into a new creature. You must repent. You must confess your sins and grant Jesus total authority and total control over your life or you are lost and you will be burned in the fire at the end of time that John the Baptist spoke about, where Jesus comes and separates the wheat and the chaff. Are you chaff today? If you are walking in sin, you are chaff, and you will be burned. So I come pleading. I come pleading. You must repent now. I don't know when Jesus is coming, but I can tell you he's coming very quickly. He's coming soon. We are at the end of the world. Judgment is coming upon America. Are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come? Or if Jesus came today, would he say, you're chaff? Very religious chaff but still to be burned because you have no fruit of righteousness in your heart. You're still shacking up with that woman or that man. You're still giving way to anger and bitterness and lust. You haven't been transformed. And Christ does not dwell in you. Five minutes. So what are you going to do, brother, sister? Do you hear my heart for you? I love you. I want you. I'm jealous for you for the kingdom of Jesus. Oh, Lord. This is your word. Straight, clean, unvarnished. 
offensive, but true. I ask, Lord, that you cut through all the delusion and all the ignorance. I pray that you cut through it all for every person listening right now. I ask, Lord, that you would take them to their knees. That they would repent now. That they would be crucified with you, Christ. That they could share in your resurrection. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. You're welcome to come on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll find directions, address, phone number, It's up to you to search us out. I also would love to hear from you. You can go to the upper right-hand corner of of our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there will be a donate button. It's the first day of the month. Would you help? that we could stay on the air and bring these messages day by day to you and to this city. Will you help with the work of the gospel? Many of you I've not heard from this month and I'm very concerned about you. Would you step in at the prompting of the Spirit and give as he directs you? Or you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can hear this message again by going to our webpage nationalprayerchapel.com it will be on youtube uploaded soon and it will be as a podcast uploaded probably late afternoon and you can listen this evening again to the message if you need to hear it again there are many other messages there i urge you to listen carefully to yesterday i'm going to be doing a whole series on the sixth chapter of romans My brother, my sister, I love you. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. Pray for your pastor. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.